Micah chapter 3. <clears throat> little book of Micah just after the book of Jonah. And let's just read this third chapter together. <clears throat> Beginning at the words of verse 1. And I said here, I pray you, O heads of Jacob and ye princes of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know judgment, who hate the good and love the evil, who pluck off their skin from off them and their flesh from off their bones, who also eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them, and they break their bones and chop them in pieces, as for the pot and as flesh within the cauldron. Then shall they cry unto the Lord, but he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at that time, as they have behaved themselves ill in their doings. Thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people err, that bite with their teeth and cry peace. And he that putteth not into their mouths, they even prepare war against him. Therefore night shall be unto you, that ye shall not have a vision, and it shall be dark unto you, that ye shall not divine, and the sun shall go down over the prophets, and the day shall be dark over them. Then shall the seers be ashamed, and the diviners confounded. Yea, they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer of God. But truly I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord, and of judgment, and of might, to declare unto Jacob his transgression, and to Israel his sin. Hear this, I pray you, ye heads of the house of Jacob, and princes of the house of Israel, that abhor judgment and pervert all equity. They build up Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. The heads thereof judge for reward, and the priests thereof teach for hire, and the prophets thereof divine for money. Yet will they lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us. Therefore shall Zion for your sake be ploughed as a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps, and the mountain of the house as the high places of the forest. Amen. Just ending a reading at the end of the chapter, and we know the Lord will add his own divine blessing upon it. In the next number of chapters, Micah, this prophet of the Lord, focuses on a message of deliverance and of hope. But in this third chapter, he concentrates on the wrong in Judah at that time. And that focus is upon particularly the prophets, but it's also upon the rulers and upon the priests. He deals with their malpractice, being opposing, uh, also opposing their theology and overturning it. Because of their greed, because of their brutality, there is the inevitable judgment of the Lord in all of this, as it is detailed even in that final verse, 12. For he says, Therefore shall Zion for your sake be ploughed as a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps, and the mountain of the house as the high places of the forest. He calls for their attention. You'll notice that at the very start. Here, I pray you. He wants them to hear and to listen. It was they who decided. It was they who made decisions. It was they who administered justice or ought to have administered justice amongst the people. That was what was expected of them. Not merely to know the law, 
but to put it into practice. But by these opening words it is implied they did not do that. And what description of them follows is because of their perverse perverse behavior. You look at the words of verse 2. You see it was expected that they should uh, judge and render justice. The heads of Jacob, the princes of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know judgment? Are you not the ones that were called to uh, administer justice? Who hate the good and love the evil? They've turned it upside down. They've turned it on their head. Who pluck off the skin from off them and their flesh from off their bones. And what verse 2 and verse 3 is, is very descriptive. You see, men and women, there's no middle ground in divine evaluation of what is good and evil. It brings to mind, does it not, that word that we read in Isaiah chapter 5. And we can apply it often to our own day. Verse 20. The woe of heaven is upon these. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. That put darkness for light and light for darkness. That put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And there's times we can look out at what is going on in a little province. And you can write that verse over it. There are those who call evil good and good evil. And that's the way that these were administering justice even in the city at this time. Because verse 2 says, who hate the good and love the evil. They should love the good and hate the evil, but it was the other way around. There's no middle ground in divine evaluation of good and evil. Today, like as it was in Micah's day, there's a fudging of the issues. There are what we might term today many times over the grey areas. You ever hear that expression? Well, there are no grey areas with God. It's either good or evil. Their behaviour could only be compared to that of wild beasts. That's why verse 2 and verse 3 in particular are very descriptive because it's really describing the behaviour of the beasts in the field. They tear the flesh. They rip each other apart. Perhaps such a vivid description would stare the consciences of those who so cruelly were exploiting their fellow citizens. But don't miss it. Mega identifies with them. For he calls them my people. But there would come the day when they would call on the Lord. For they would recognize that they needed that help that was superior to any of the administrators or any of the seers that were in the city. That's what we read in verse 4 at the start of them shall they cry unto the Lord. If you come back to Psalm 107, you'll notice if you look at that Psalm 107 in particular, you'll see it as a record of God's intervention in response to the cry of a repentant people. I'm just going to give you a few verses in verse 6. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. Verse 13. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of, of their distresses. 19. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. Verse 28. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. It's a time where God intervenes intervenes at the call of a repentant people. But there's a difference in Micah chapter 3. And the difference is they hadn't repented. And the Lord would not hear them. 
Because that's how verse 4 goes on to say. They had despised the covenant with God. They had despised their obligations. Their sin separated between them and God. You know, maybe you've been in, as I have been in, many a prayer meeting. And verse 1 of Isaiah 59 has been quoted. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot see you. Neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear. It's a good, good verse for a prayer meeting. Good verse for any time. Men and women, don't forget verse 2 and 3. But, but, your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood. Your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue hath muttered perverseness. And as you bear in mind those verses that we have just read in Isaiah 59. Then you will see literally it was the same here. For the Lord would not hear them. The Lord, as it were, would turn his face away from them in the midst of their calamity. How tragic it is, men and women, if we were to meet any Thursday night, any Sabbath day for prayer, and the heavens were brass to us. And we went away from the prayer meeting with the idea, with the thought, the Lord didn't hear us. His face is turned away. That's what unrepentant sin does in the prayer life of a child of God. As the rest of verse 4 will intimate. He will even hide his face from them at that time. As they have behaved themselves ill in their doings. And it is with that as a background. That Micah now continues or considers the false prophet. And I bring you to the words really. Of verse 5 and just a couple after but really look at the words of verse 5 here's a message from the Lord it's clear from the opening of verse 5 that this was a message from God this wasn't a, a mere word from a man for Micah says thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people cry it concerned those prophets who were leading the people astray. The problem was, as it is today, in recognizing, in discerning the false prophet when they are encountered. These were those who claimed to speak in the name of the Lord. It's not as if they were out and out uh, prophets of Baal. These boys spoke in the name of the Lord. They were those who had influence. They seemed to associate themselves with the temple. They were given a great deal of respect by the rulers in the land. These false prophets sought to put forth a theological tradition. They would quote scripture. They would seek to apply that scripture to their own day. But they only quoted half the message and their applications fell short. There were those who if rewarded then they cried out the message of peace that was wont to be heard. You see that in verse 4, 5. Thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people err, that bite with their teeth and cry peace. And he that putteth not into their mouths, they even prepare war against him. Peace is a word that embraces that good relationship with God and all the blessings 
of the prosperity that God alone bestows. Tonight we are those who are at peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Much was made of that dear lady that was set free from the Hamas the other night. And she shook the hand of her captor and said, Shalom. What they can't say is, Sabbat Shalom. What they can't say is peace on Christ because their, their eyes are blinded. And it's a word that is familiar to the Jew to this day. And here's the false prophets and they cry peace because that's the message they want to hear. But the peace that we have tonight is in that relationship we have and enjoy with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll notice that if they were paid enough then, they would say all was well. It's the same as in Jeremiah. Jeremiah speaks of them in similar language. Jeremiah 6 verse 13. Verse 13 says, For from the least of them, even unto the greatest of them, everyone is given the covetousness, and from the prophet, even unto the priest, everyone dealeth falsely. They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people, slightly saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. That's the cry of the apostate in Ulster tonight. That's the sign of ecumenism tonight in this land. Peace, peace when there is no peace. You consider the words of verse 11 of our chapter. It suggests that they would provide a theological justification for their words of blessing. The heads thereof judge for reward. Priests thereof teach for hire. The prophets... They're off divine for money. Give me the money. And I'll tell you the message of peace. Yet will they lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us. They're using the name of the Lord. They purport to be prophets of God. However, their primary motive was not to expound God's word. But it's their own interests. Before you leave the words of verse 5, I just want to draw your attention to the little word bite. Wherever you find the word bite in the Old Testament, it's always in association with the serpent. When the serpent bites, it leaves its poison. And there is a summary of the actions of these false prophets with their honeyed words. Peace. It was poison. And anyone who stood against them and didn't support them, and they became the target for abuse and, and anger. I want you to come over into Matthew's Gospel. I bring you there because the Savior warned about them in his day. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15. It's what is known part of the great Sermon on the Mount. He says, beware of false prophets. 
which come to you in sheep's clothing. They don't look like out and out prophets of Baal. They don the sheep's clothing. They look like one of you. Because of course we are the sheep of the Lord. But inwardly. They are ravening wolves. He says beware. It will be a feature of the last days. Prior to the Lord's return. Matthew 24. Verse 11. And many. Many. False prophets shall rise. And shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound. The love of many shall wax cold. The apostles also were to give the warnings. Of the false prophet. Like out of John. First John chapter 4. Just the opening couple of verses. Beloved believe not every spirit. But try the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. Whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now already it is in the world. Ye are of God, little children. And have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He gives a warning about them as well. And so does Paul as he writes to Timothy. He exhorts them to preach the word in season and out of season. Why? Because there will be those who will be uh, seeking to turn away the people from the truth onto fables. Tickling in their ears. What's that? It's giving them the message that they want to hear. It's just the same as Micah's day. Peace. May the Lord give us discernment. Not discerning spirit to recognize the false prophet of today. There is the inevitable judgment here. What follows ought not to be a surprise to us. For there is the inevitable judgment denoted by the word in verse 6 therefore. On account of what you're doing. On account of what I have stated. Night shall be unto you. And what you have in verse 6 is a fourfold repetition of the divine condemnation that would come upon them. There's a fourfold picture of the darkness. Night shall be unto you. It shall be dark upon you. The sun shall go down over the prophets and the day shall be dark over them. There's four things, four times. That darkness is spoke about. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. But here's divine condemnation. The day of the Lord's intervention and judgment is always a day of darkness without any ray of light. God's judgment for the Christ rejecter, God's judgment for those alienated from God will be one of eternal darkness. In the great abyss. That's one reason why we come to the prayer meeting to pray for those who do not pray for themselves. 
And in addition to this darkness, there is the detail given. Even again in that middle of that verse 6, Therefore night shall be unto you, that ye shall not have a vision. You might read that and say, what's that mean? It's simply this, that in those days, and of course God, before the complete canon of Scripture, he often spoke through prophets. He often spoke through the visions or the dreams. And those visions were given often in the night season. But in this situation, the prophets would be without any vision. They would be unable to provide any explanation of what was happening. No matter what methods they sought to employ to find out about the future, it would be fruitless. In the darkness of this divine visitation, their methods would be exposed and they would be shown up for what they were. They would be ashamed. And the diviners among them would be disgraced. That's what we have in verse 7. They shall all cover their lips. Not much shame about today, but you know, sometimes you'll come across a person that will cover their mouth. And cover their lips because they're ashamed. Ashamed of what they said. Ashamed of what they've seen. That's the picture. They all shall cover their lips. There's shame. And there's grief. There's nothing that could pa- they could pass on to the people because there's no answer from God. All their bravery, all their evil ways have proved to be useless. Men and women, tonight we do not look to those who purport to tell us the future. For we have God's word. We have God's complete canon of scripture. It is forever settled in heaven. It's sure. It's up to date. It's up to date, isn't it? God has given us his word so that we're not to be in ignorance about these things. And we're not to be in ignorance about the things uh, coming near the end of time. God has even given us those things. That's his name for the believer. Because he has delivered us by his grace, then we shall never see that eternal darkness. We'll never see the caverns of the damned. Because you see, on a hill outside Jerusalem, there's a darkness descended one day. It was supernatural because it was noonday. And in that darkness, Christ on that middle cross, suffered our hell, paid our punishment, and we would never go there. And no painter, no artist could ever paint Christ on the cross, because that cross was veiled for three hours of darkness. As God turned his face away from his Son, as he who knew no sin had become sin for us. And if you would be asked as of old is there a word from the Lord you see there was no word here verse 7 there's no answer of God as someone comes to you and says is there a word from the Lord we can say like Jeremiah there is we've got his word 
I want you to notice just finally in closing the true prophet. Verse 8 again draws a great contrast. It says, but. Micah disassociates himself from the false prophets. The contrast couldn't be any greater. But truly I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of judgment and of might to declare unto Jacob his transgression and to Israel his son. The foundation of him being a prophet is in that he had the Spirit of God's power upon him. That's what the false prophets don't have. But he says, as for me, I am full of the power of the Spirit of the Lord. Micah had been given in full measure the power of God to persevere in presenting what was an unpopular message. He had the spirit of judgment. He could discern what was right and what was evil. He knew that what justice was ought to be applied in every given situation. That was what the false prophets lacked. They hadn't got judgment. They didn't rule as was expected. But he says, by the power of God, I have judgment. He also had the spirit of might. And the word can be thought upon as boldness. I'm full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of judgment and of might. If you turn over to Acts chapter 4, you will see the early church. They had this might. Acts 4 verse 13. Peter, of course, and those with him had stood and preached in the name of Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. They hadn't been to the universities of the day, but they had been at the feet of Christ. And they saw the boldness of these men. And they threw them in the confined place until the morning. They forbid them even to teach in the name of Christ. What did they do? They went back to their own people. Verse 23, and being let go, they went to their own company. I like that. You see, God's people will always go to their own company. God's people don't go back to the world. They always go to their own company. And that doesn't say that, that, that we, none of us make mistakes and, and none of us feel. Of course we do. But there's no people like God's people. And they went back to their own company. What did they do? They started praying. They laid the matter before the early church. This is what they said to us. This is what they want us to do and all the rest of it. Verse 29. And now, Lord, they get to prayer. Behold their threatenings. Grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. They didn't go soft, you know. They didn't go cowardly. Lord, grant them boldness to preach on. Look at verse 30, 31. When they had prayed... 
The place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. Men and women, Micah was endued with the power of the Spirit. Not to declare a message to win popularity among the rich or influential. His message was given by God. It was a message to be addressed to the spiritual needs of the people of Israel and of Judah. Because they had sinned against the covenant keeping God. And that's why the message includes the judgment. You see we're reminded it's not by might nor by power. It is with my spirit saith the Lord of hosts, how the church of Jesus Christ needs the power of God's Spirit in this day. This preacher needs the power of God's Spirit in Margaret Hill of the pulpit this day. How we need to have this boldness in the face of all that opposes God's truth. And that means at times preaching against sin. It's not liked times we have to preach against sin without fear or favor because of their sin because of their wicked behavior Jerusalem was going to experience the opposite to what the false prophets claimed would happen what did they claim? they claimed the end of verse 11 is not the Lord among us none evil can come upon us the very place that they felt would be secure will be conquered, it will be devastated, just like Samaria. And that's what you read in verse 12, as I've already referenced earlier on. Here's what the judgment of the Lord would look like. That description includes the departure of the Lord from their midst, because the temple, the mountain of the house, has the high places of the forest. It indicated his presence will be taken away. And I draw you to consider a very interesting comparison. If you come with me to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23 finds the Lord denouncing the teachers of the law. He's denouncing the Pharisees. The religious leaders of that day. He says in verse 38 of that chapter. Behold your house is left unto you desolate. Your house is left unto you desolate. The house. He's already made reference to the house in chapter 21. He said unto them it is written my house shall be called the house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. Now look at chapter 24. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. He's denounced the Pharisees. He said your house will be left unto you desolate. And symbolically he departs from it. And his disciples come to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. The Lord foretold the end of that temple that existed in their day. 
he departed. The only bright note in all of this, of chapter 3 of Micah, <coughs> is that the words of Micah were remembered a century later. The words of the false prophets won't be remembered. The words of the true prophet of the Lord will. And they were remembered a century later and they were used to the release of Jeremiah. And I just, in closing, bring you to that. Jeremiah 26, verse 18. Verse 17, just to give you it. Then rose up certain of the elders of the land and spake to all the assembly of the people, saying, Micah the Morishite prophesieth in the days of Hezekiah king of Judah and spake to all the people of Judah saying thus saith the Lord of hosts Zion shall be ploughed like a field and Jerusalem shall become heaps and the mountain of the house as a high priest of a forest didn't we read that? I quote the exact message that he prophesied of a century later God's word is truth and you know that, men and women, it proves that Micah was a true prophet and he was acknowledged to be so in Jeremiah's day. And the significance for this our day, verse 19, that Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judah put him at all to death. Did he not fear the Lord? And besought the Lord, and the Lord repented him of the evil which he had pronounced against them. Thus might we procure great evil against our souls. The significance is to be a God-fearing soul, as Micah was. It is to be a man or woman who knows what it is to call upon the Lord. For Micah did. He's maybe a wee unknown prophet that we skip over but we're starting to see things about him he's a man that feared God and he's a man who knew how to beseech the Lord that he might spare that place that God might repent of what he had said and judgment he would do may God help us to be such in these days and if we're known for nothing else, we might be known as a man or woman who fears God and who knows how to pray, who knows how to lay hold upon the Lord, that God might be merciful to our land and our people and our town and many other things as well. The Lord bless his word even to our hearts tonight. For his own name's sake.